Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. main points. For the last two weeks, we've studied the reasons. Actually, it's been the last three, but we had to miss one due to mom's funeral. What make people ineffective in life? And in this study, we have not attempted to be negative, but as a physician, we try to locate tendencies that propel people into non-effective behavior. And we should always try to make the greatest attempts to do the right thing so as to affect our choices, our habits, and life skills. I want to say thanks for being here again tonight. You that were not here this weekend, you that we have missed, we want to help you help us elaborate more the thesis of ineffectiveness. And this is the third and final lesson we're going to be doing tonight. We started with seven. We're down to two remaining. The first Wednesday night we talked about, let's review them real quickly, highly ineffective people are poor time managers. Say poor time managers. Uh, four words divide the house and the have-nots. The words, I didn't have time. We must prioritize our time or we will lose our time and waste it. Everybody say, Lord, help me be a good time manager. Amen. Know that we have to redeem the time. Highly ineffective people possess a losing attitude. A losing attitude or a loser is a person who has an abundance of opportunities to learn, has successful role models to look to, but chooses not to try to get any better. Losing attitudes say, I can't. Winning attitudes say, I can try. The impossible becomes I apostrophe M possible. I am possible. And so we want to be possible people. Highly ineffective people, we learn, stop growing, and they stop learning. Growth takes effort. Effective people continue to grow and continue to learn in life. Then last week we talked about highly ineffective people have no game plan or purpose in their life. And we took off on this. This is one of my highlight nights of my whole year. When we started talking about purpose and plan for God in our life. Proverbs 29 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. In other words, all the restraints are taken off. Failing to plan, folks, is really planning to fail. You must know the game plan, and then you've got to exercise it to its conclusion. And we spoke on and about purpose. What is our purpose in life? Purpose is like going west, but you never get west. You just keep going west. And purpose will be here after we're long gone. God's purpose will always be on this earth. And effectively what it is, it is continuing the victory that Christ won on this earth. We are to be the examples of his victory on this, on this planet. He won. He won over death. He won over hell. And he won over the grave. And it's our purpose to continue that victory. See, life is full of contradictions. We must allow the spiritual man to override the physical man because you cannot finish in the flesh what you started in the spirit. Right. Goals can be accomplished, but purpose is a lifetime endeavor. Amen? So set your goals, have goals, and complete those goals and do what you want to do in your goals. But remember, when you get up tomorrow, you still have a purpose. Even without a goal to reach this week, you still have a purpose. Even when things are not good in your life and your goals are falling short, you still have a purpose. Because God said, I've got some people down there that's going to reflect my glory no matter what happens to them in their life. The reason I know that, he did that to Job. 
He said, I've got one down there that's not going to deny me, not going to defy me. He's going to stand strong. And the devil said, give me a chance. He got his chance and Job stood strong. I believe with all my heart God's got people in this world right now that even though their goals have not been accomplished, their purpose is still undying in their heart and in their life. Amen. And then we talked last week about uh, highly ineffective people are unwilling to change. Two times people change when they want to and when they have to. The only thing that remains the same in life is change. We must not be brittle. Someone said the 10th beatitude was, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape. That's a pretty good one, isn't it? The Bible said, For there is not a single person in all the earth who is always good and never sins. That's Ecclesiastes 7 and 20 in the New Living Translation. People will cling to an unsatisfactory way of life rather than change to get something better for fear of getting something worse. We made that statement last, last week. Now this evening, let's go forward. We're going to study the last two of these elements that hound us all and cause us to go wrong ways in our direction instead of the right ways. Number six, highly ineffective people fail in relationships with others. Let's talk about relationships tonight. Matthew 18, 15 says, If a brother sins against you, go to him privately and confront him with his fault. If he listens and confesses it, you have won back a brother. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Say it with me, shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I'm not just blowing the trumpet for the church tonight. But I'm going to tell you, I know there's people that hang around church that are not church people. But the greatest place in all the world to find wise people in this world and understand the ways of this world is in a house of God. And you have made a good choice by being here tonight. Give yourself a hand clap for being in the house of the Lord. Success is built by relating well to other people. I want to ask you, who are your best friends? Because when I know who your friends are, I'll know what kind of person that you are. Are they negative? Are they complainers? Are they fault finders? Are they people with questionable characters? Or are they good for you? I want to make one statement tonight before I move on. If they're bad, you need to put a, an exclamation point there and say, I'm moving on. You need to get away from bad influences in your life. You need to cut the umbilical cord of relationships that hold you in limited opportunities to succeed in life. It is always people that will help you or hurt you, add to you or subtract from you. And if you run with the right people, you're going to make the right choices. If you run with people that are not right for you, you may make wrong choices in your life. So if you find an elder in a church, if you find somebody at your work that has it put together in life, you need to hang on to those kind of people. You need to say, hey, I'm running up against a little wall here. Can you give me some advice? And it don't mean you have to take that advice, but you need to listen to people that have learned a lesson or two about how to get from point A to point B without staggering and falling 15 times. Amen? Clap your hands to that. It's well to remember. It's well to remember that the entire population of the universe, with one exception, is composed of other people. I'm going to say that again. You need to remember that the entire population of this universe, with one exception, moi, 
It's composed of other people. You are just one person, and God always builds relationally. He makes allies out of relationships. He makes allies relationally. He makes allies. There's an old legend about a New England town that was suffering through all manners of dissension and backbiting, and it got into the church. And the people were involved in, in petty feuds and pitting neighbors against neighbors. And one day the people came together and consulted a wise pastor as how they could resolve their differences. And the pastor agreed to think on the matter and send them a letter detailing his judgment. A few days later, the pastor sat down and wrote that letter to those people full of advice how to make peace in their town. He also sat down and wrote a letter to a farmer, friend of his, who was having trouble with his bull. Okay? Then the pastor called two messengers, gave them the two letters, and sent them away and said, I want you to deliver these to the prospective people. You can guess what happened. The pastor accidentally mixed up the letters. The message for the town got sent to the farmer, and the message to the farmer got sent to the feud in town. Here's the message the townspeople received. You had better see that your fences are put up well in the first place. Plow your ground deep and sort your seed. Be careful not to sow foul seed and take care of that great ugly bull. I think you'd better poke him. The rest I will tell you when I come. The townspeople sat in silence for a long time contemplating this pastor's strange prophetic utterance. Finally, one man stood and said, I believe I've got the interpretation of this message. He said, the putting up of fences must refer to the rules and disciplines of the church. Ha <laughs> ha. He said the people had neglected those rules and disciplines for a long time. He said the plowing of the ground must be another way of saying the people need to open their hearts to allow good seed of brotherly love to be sown. He said the warning against foul seed was obvious. The citizens had an obligation to sort the truth from the untruth and not to believe every morsel of gossip that they heard. And the great ugly bull could only symbolize the devil who had come into their midst and stirred up so much strife among them. Oh, I wish to God I could write a letter to a farmer today and somebody in the church get a hold of it. I'm telling you something. There is nothing greater than a relationship with Almighty God. And there is nobody bigger than that relationship you have with God. And if you have a relationship with God, you will have relationships with people who are walking with God. And you'll have relationship with people who are not walking with God. Because when you put the relationship with God first, everything else falls into place. I promise you, I can, I can go up to people and I can, tell, I can tell when I walk into a church or tell when I walk up to people if they got issue, 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 issue. The main issue is they're not connected to the main source. I'm going to pull my coat off. I'm going to teach a little bit tonight. Somebody said, I got Aggie colors on here tonight. It's all right. Gig them. In his book, Enemy Waters, Richard Shepard tells about two men he saw one day pummeling one another in a gutter where each had a car half parked. One was in frontward, the other was in backwards in a parking space. The irrationality of it all, he says, was emphasized by a sign in front of the parking space that said, no parking. 
Of course, the point wasn't that they were both trying to park in a no-parking zone. The point was they were both carrying around anger that was just waiting to erupt. And anything that happened in their life was going to tee them off. Two guys got in an argument about who was the best point guard in America back in the days of Allen Iverson when he was with the 76ers and Gary Payton when he was with the Seattle Supersonics. And words turned into gunfire in the Philadelphia streets. And when the smoke cleared, two innocent bystanders, a man and his wife, that had two small children lay dead in the streets. The issue really wasn't whether who was the best point guard in America. The issue was that there was anger that needed simply venting. Anger can make you do stupid things. I'm going to stop and say something here right now. Now, I may not be as funny as I was last week, but I'm going to say something right now. If you're angry, stop it. If you're angry all the time, quit it. If everything bugs you, get over it. You know what? You've got to get over those kind of things. People are tired of walking around you like you got eggshells around you. We're tired of trying to tiptoe around you. It's time for you to stand up and be a man and a woman and say, I've got an issue in my life and I'm going to get over it. I'm not going to be angry anymore. God's going to bless me. I'm going to get bitterness out of my heart. I'm going to get resentment out of my heart. Say amen to that. We need relationships. It bothers the fire out of me. When people walk in this church and I say, hey, how you doing? And I'm just happy as I can be. And they just walk by like, who are you? Well, I know who I am. Who are you? Just mad. Just mad. Just mad. It's not, it's not good to just be angry all the time. It's not good to continually hold and vent anger there's wit and wisdom from the peanut butter gang. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some wit and wisdom. Some children offer advice on spotting and dealing with anger. One girl named Morgan said, she's 11 years old, when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> and Leslie, age 11, advises, when your mama is mad and you ask and ask you, do I look stupid? It's best not to answer her. If 11-year-old kids can recognize anger and resentment and bitterness in our heart, somebody needs to get over that. You know, we, used, we, we made fun of Nancy Reagan years ago because she came up with a great slogan for drugs. She said, just say no. And we laughed at that. But I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I'm tired of hearing... Well, Pastor, you just don't know my situation. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You're just human like everybody else. But you don't have a right to go off at everybody because you're carrying anger grudges all the time. That's going to get you shot one day when you pull in front of somebody in road rage and start doing some things, give them the Hawaiian hello and all that. They're going to come after you. And I'm telling you, I'm trying to help you on a Wednesday night. Anger's got to get out of us. Bitterness has got to get out of us. Resentment's got to get out of us. You've got to fall in love with Jesus. And when you fall in love with him, you can get along with anybody in this world. It's called relationship. It's called relationship. It's called relationship. Martin Luther King.
told his people, he said, avoid not only violence of deed, but violence of spirit. Don't let your spirit get violent. Just be, well, pastor, you know, I'm a man's man. Really? 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 I don't want to say what I want to say. But you need to be a little more woman's man. <laughs> if you'll take charge of your inner emotions, your outer actions will take care of themselves. Say amen to that. Amen. Actually, Jesus gave us a formula for solving most of our interpersonal problems. Here, here's what he said. It's a long scripture, Matthew 5, 21 through 24. He says in the, in, the, in the New Revised Standard Version, If you heard that it was said of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whosoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool... You'll be liable to the hell fire. So when you are offering your gift at an altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother or your sister first. And then come and offer your gift. What he's saying is, if there's something in your heart that is flowing against a brother or sister or a family member, you need to come to an altar and say, I'm going to leave my gift here. I'm going to go fix that. Yes. I'm going to go fix that. And that doesn't mean you have to eat humble pie, but I'm going to go fix that. And I'm going to work that situation out. Then I'm going to come back and pick up my gift, and I'm going to go on my way. Because I refuse to let my gift, I refuse to let the gift that God's given me be hampered and held down by something I hold against somebody that I can get fixed in my own heart. Listen, you can't fix everybody else, but you can fix you. You can't fix everybody else, but you can fix you. You can fix moi. You can fix you. It's amazing. Like one old pastor said one time, he said, it's amazing the difference I feel when I've been on a seven-day fast. He said, when I've been on a seven-day fast and I'm hungry, I don't worry about who's talking about me. I'm worried about getting that next meal. But when I've just had a big old steak at a restaurant and I walk out and somebody mentions somebody said, I can go off on that person. But it's amazing what happens when you get this flesh out of the way. And you let that spirit get large. Am I talking to you now? You got to get the spirit big. You got to get the spirit big. Jesus gives us something else in interpersonal relationships. He said, when situations come, you got you to nip problems in the bud. You cannot let that thing blossom on you. You got to stop it right now. Don't let it get out of hand. Don't let that little old lizard become a Gila monster. Don't let that little old gecko lizard. Don't let that little old gecko lizard that's Geico insurance. Don't let that little gecko grow up and become some kind of big monster in your house. Take care of the situation right now. Do not let feelings fester. Deal with them right now. So when you are offering your gift at an altar, you know your brother's got alt. You know your sister has alt. Something against you. Leave that gift. Go to that alt, before that altar and go be reconciled to your brother and sister. Then come back and offer your gift. I read it again. Here's what I want to tell you. It's important that family members understand this. Because I promise you, living with somebody 24-7, you better love them. Let's talk. Yes. 
Let's talk. How's your marriage lately? Is it good? Everybody doing good? Still getting that mm, sugar sugar? Love you, babe. Everything just hunky dory in our house, Pastor. Well, good. Good. Do you kids think so? It's amazing. I don't want to put anybody under the rug, but some of our little old kids, when we used to take prayer requests over in our Sunday school, they'd, they'd, pray, they'd ask prayer for y'all. Pray for my mom and daddy. They ain't getting along. Of course, kids, you know, kids say the dumbest things. Please pray for my mama. She don't come home. <laughs> Please pray for my daddy. He goes off on us. We stop those prayer requests because we want to protect the guilty. I'm messing with you now. Philip Yancey wrote a book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And it gives thoughtful treatment to the word resentment. Resentment literally means, you ready for this, to feel again. In other words, it means to cling to the past. It means to relive over and over and over and pick each fresh scab so that the wound never heals. And the pattern doubtless began, says Yancey, went the very first couple on earth. Think of the squabbles that Adam and Eve must have had in the course of their 900 years on earth. Can you imagine when they're 850? Adam says, Eve said, you ate the apple. And Adam said, well, you gave it to me. <laughs> Can you imagine that going on for 850 years? I can't imagine that going on for a month in my house. I can't imagine that going on for a week in my house. I don't want to go down and lay down and sleep tonight and give any place to the devil. I, 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 don't, I, don't want, I don't want sunset to fall in my life when my wife and I are, are at odds with one another. I want to walk into her and say, babe, I want to tell you something. If I've messed up, I've messed up. Forgive me. Wash me. It doesn't hurt. I'm going to tell you, the people that ask for forgiveness are not the losers in a family. The people that ask for forgiveness are people that are trying to hold this thing and move this family forward. Don't feel like that you're smaller, you're weaker, you're less. You're not the big man. You're not the great lady of the house. Seek advice and seek forgiveness and go to bed at night and say, we will not let the sun go down on our wrath and give place to the devil. Say amen to that. Say amen to that. Somebody has to say, forgive me. You got to win by forgiveness. You got to take care of it quickly. Sometime back, there was a Harvard team headed by a social scientist that tracked down the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. Here's what the team found. People with the fewest personal relationships were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Listen to it. Three times. In fact, people with bad health habits such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, even alcohol use, but who had strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. When you get upset at the church, get to church. Come on to church. The greatest way I know to whip a devil trying to keep you out of church is to get up and get on the house of God. In fact, get up and be here early and make pastors say, what are you doing here at 8.30 on Sunday morning or 8 o'clock on Sunday morning? Well, I just want to come to church today. Get up and show that devil you're not going to stay home. You're going to be a part of a relational church. You're going to be a part of a relational program. You're going to get involved in what God's doing. Amen? So in other words, in other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. 
Harvard researcher Robert Putnam says, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one like right now, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. Everybody say, I need a friend. That's why Barbara Streisand, I love the song I love, People Who Need People Are the Luckiest People in the World. Hey, we need one another. Come on, clap your hands. We need one another. We need each other. That's what it's about. We need each other. We need each other. Except the Lord build a house. They labor in vain that build it. Psalms 127 and 1. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. The word for house there is not talking about a structure. It's talking about a family. Except the Lord build a family. They labor in vain that build it. God is building a family of people that relate well to each other and relate well with him. Alex Haley made a statement years ago when he wrote a book called Roots. He said, if you ever see a turtle on the fence post, he didn't get there by himself. Everybody needs somebody. You won't succeed without help from other people. Now, let me ask you this. Are you looking for advancement at work or a new promotion that's coming in a few months? Pardon the pun. But you can't be a sourhead and expect sweet rewards. Amen? Be kind and gentle to supporters, superiors and inferiors and show that you care about people. Let me tell you one of the greatest stories I've ever told and ever read. There was a boy that was running a hotel one day, and he was in New York City. And he gave a room to two people one night. He was out of rooms, but it was a cold and it was a stormy night. And he was out of rooms, but he gave them his room, the room that he would sleep in. It was behind his office. He slept in, on a couch in his office that night. He gave them his room. Got a letter from the man who he put in that room, and he said, I want, I want you to run my business. I am building a new hotel in New York called the Waldorf Astoria. So became the legend of Charles Schwab. Learn some basic skills. Learn how to get along with people. You never know who's going to get in your cab. You never know who you're going to serve at that table. You never know who you're going to see at that wedding or at that funeral. You never know what God's going to put in your life. And I promise you, when you're endorsing Jesus with all your actions, when you're endorsing the Savior with all your affection, when you're being a Christian, I promise you people see that and they want to move closer to you without you even saying a word. One man said it best, said, preach the gospel every day and when necessary, use words. Here's what I'm trying to say. Be a Christian every day. Learn that relationships is what it's all about. And when you're in love with him, truly in love with him, you'll make relationships horizontally with people all over America. If you've got a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ, clap your hands and say amen to that. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it with all my heart. Amen. It's a change of mind, a change of thinking, and a change of direction. Number seven, I close tonight. After a while, not yet. Everybody say, highly ineffective people do not build relationships. Highly ineffective people do not pay the price to be effective. Paul Harvey said, years ago when Paul Harvey was on the radio, I made Patty Winslet tape him every day, and I would listen to him in the afternoon and get nidbits and stories and, and little quips and quotes and nuggets he said, you can tell you're on the road to success because it's uphill all the way. 
General George Patton was a 29-year-old colonel commanding tanks in World War I. And the principal assignment of these tanks was to protect against machine gun fire and artillery while crossing difficult terrains. But there was one problem. These tanks were difficult to see out of. So George Patton led his tanks against enemy fire on foot. He walked. Patton was always a winner. You know why? Because he was willing to do whatever was necessary to be effective in life. There's no success. Say it with me. There's no success without sacrifice. There's no success without sacrifice. Think about these words. Dedication. Say it. Devotion. Discipleship. Commitment. Consecration. Surrender. Sacrifice. There are no blue light specials on virtues in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not Kmart. I want to get two statements into your heart. Salvation is free, but discipleship is not cheap. I'm going to say it again. Salvation is free, but discipleship is not cheap. There's day traders that every day they day trade online. And they're trying to find just a little bit of margin of victory and to up their ante every day. They don't care about the company. They just want to improve themselves. There are dot-com investors that doesn't care anything about what's on that dot-com business. They just want to improve themselves. I'm telling you, the church does not need day traders. The church does not need dot-com investors. We need people that not only want to improve themselves, but want to improve the relationally with people in the house of God and improve the church. This thing is not, I'm going to get mine and leave. This thing is about the church. It's God's glorious house, and we're going to make the church the greatest thing that it could ever be in our life. This thing is not about me. It's about Him. Let me hurry. There's a phrase that rings through, his, through a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 14. It rings clear. It tells a message that Jesus is sharing. And it's a pungent sharpness that you can't miss. Three times Jesus says, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is looking for a, not looking for a crowd. He's looking for people that will commit to him. I know this is going to be a little difficult to teach, but please stay with me for the next four or five minutes. I want to teach this to you. In the Gospels, in the book of Acts, Christians are called disciples 264 times. One thing you have to say about Jesus, he puts no fine print in the contract. He's totally above board. He pulls no punches. Without apology, straight-faced and straightforward, Jesus lets people know then as he lets people know now what is necessary if you're going to follow him in this life. There is no victory in your life without sacrifice. You've got a price that you have to pay to be a disciple of the Lord. Amen? Anybody want to put their shoulder to the wheel and let's go forward? In fact, it almost seems as if the Lord Jesus is saying, instead of trying to build up a crowd, he's trying to thin one out. He had no interest in popularity and could care less about being a celebrity. He meant business with people and he wants people to mean business with him. So here's what he said. If you intend to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you intend to be one of his disciples, you're going to have to answer three questions. Here's the first one. If anyone comes to me and does not hate 
His father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, before you get all antsy, that word hate there means love less than. If you don't love your father and mother less than and your children less than and your brothers and sisters yes than and even your own life less than you love me, you can't be my disciple. Does anybody want to clap your hands and say, I love Jesus most of all here tonight? Anybody want to do that? Anybody want to do that tonight? Hey, I didn't die for you. I didn't die for myself, but I serve one that died for me. And I love him most of all. I want to be his disciple. Say amen to that. Someone said, there are three classes of Christians on the train that's going to heaven. Third class Christians have Jesus present in their life. Second class Christians have Jesus prominent in their life. But first class Christians have Jesus preeminent in their life. Wow. Wow. So the question of priority is, what priority will you place on following Jesus Christ? I heard a story about a boy named Herb who was dating a girl named Sally for a while. And several times he asked her to marry him, and she kept saying no. Finally, she came to him one day and said, Herb, I'm not going to see you anymore. I'm going to break up with you. And he said, Sally, is there someone else? And she said, Herb, there just has to be. (laughs) You'll get it after a while. Hey, some of you need to give things in the world a Dear John letter. I'm not going to marry you. I'm not going to marry that feeling. I'm not going to marry that, that involvement. I'm not going to marry that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm talking about old-fashioned, pure, moral holiness right now. I'm not going to marry into that. I'm not going to be a part of that. There's got to be somebody else. Yes, there is. Jesus is first in my life. And my partying days are over. My celebrating days with the world is over. I'm going to celebrate Jesus. I'm going to celebrate family. I'm going to celebrate my friends that love the Lord. I'm going to celebrate right living. I'm going to celebrate the things that I can celebrate right and go to bed and sleep with a good conscience. Is that all right to teach that? You've got to love less than those things than you love him. You say, oh, I love golf and I love this. You, 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 you really don't love all that stuff. You like that stuff, but you love Jesus Christ. It's not wrong to do those kind of things, but you, you've got to love him more than anything. And when you love him, you want to come to church and worship him. You want to come to dinner time and eat with him. You want to do the things that he wants you to do. If any man, if any man does not hate love less than, then he should He cannot be my disciple. The second thing, whosoever, verse 27, does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Say amen to that. Cannot be. Billy Graham once said something that I agree with wholeheartedly. He said, I think the main reason people do not come to Christ is because they do not want to pay the price. But Christ will not compromise and he will not negotiate if he went to the cross and died for us we must bear our cross we must get involved in this thing and I'm not saying that it's a pitiful 
bad, poor thing to do. But I promise you, it does not embarrass me at all to stand before this town, this city, and say that I'm a spirit-filled preacher of the gospel. It does not hurt me. It does not bother me at all to stand up and say, no, 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 I don't, I, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't. Last night, I got a thrill of my life. Last night, Coach Mark Jackson, who coaches the Golden State Warriors, I got invited to the game last night. I got invited, a free ticket, a free parking pass, a free dinner. Man. And I'm sitting right as the Golden State Warriors go out at, uh, out at halftime, I'm sitting right there on the rail, four rows up in the baseline, great seats. I don't know how much they cost, but who cares? It? <laughs> great evening. They had a lot more money than I had. And Coach Jackson walked by. He is a spirit-filled, tongue-talking pastor. And he uses no profanity. And I love people like that. He'll coach those boys, and if they beat our Spurs, I'm going to root for them all the way to the finals. Because I love people with character. I love character that can stand up in society and say, you're not going to taint me. You're not going to bend me over. You're not going to make me eat your king's meat. I'm going to live for God and still excel in this world. Are you with me right now? There's a price to pay. You've got to take up your cross, but it'll work. And when he come by, I just had to do it. Say, Coach Jackson, I'm leaning over there. Coach Jackson, I love you, brother. He looked up, and he knew it wasn't a fan. He knew it wasn't a call of somebody that had four or five Budweiser's. He knew it was a brotherhood call. And Coach Jackson said, love you back, and walked on. And I said, I'm going to ride him. I'm going to write him a letter. Oh, I'm a letter. I'm going to write him a letter. And I'm going to say that bald-headed man that said, love you, brother, is a Holy Ghost preacher just like you are, Mr. Jackson, Pastor Jackson. And I want you to come and preach for us at our church. I believe with all my heart that we need people like that that said, I'm not ashamed of bearing the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of carrying my cross and understanding that this is the greatest life that I could ever live. Clap your hands and rejoice in that right now. Rejoice in that right now. Amen. Amen. Alexander the Great was coming against a great city one day, and I'm almost done. And the king said, we're not, we're not going to surrender. We don't feel like you can come through our walls. And Alexander said to the king, I want you to watch this. And near, nearby within the sites of the city walls was a sheer cliff. And he ordered some of his men to start walking toward that cliff in single file. And when they marched toward that cliff, the city citizens watched in horrified fascination as one after one of Alexander the Great's men fell off that cliff and died. And he finally said, halt! And he stopped and he looked back at the king. He said, you still want to not surrender? And the king and his whole, the whole city walked out and said, we surrender. Because when they saw the price that these people were willing to pay for their leader, they understood we don't hold a chance against this kind of people. Let me tell you something. When people see how you really react when things are going bad in your life and things are not going good in your life and you're willing to pick up your cross and go forward, my God, they're going to say, I can't stand against that. I'm going to surrender my heart to that because that's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. 
let's have people that will carry their cross. Say amen to that. And the third thing, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Winners pay a price that no one else will pay. Winners pay a price no one else will pay. If you don't forsake all that you have. The ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome was painted by Michelangelo, and I'm closing tonight. Somebody help me. This required Michelangelo to lie flat on his back and paint that ceiling. But it posed a problem for Michelangelo had a horrible bad back. And if he lay on it too long, he suffered excruciating pain. Moreover, he had some kind of nasal obstruction, which when he laid on his back, cut off his air supply, and he couldn't breathe out of his nose. But he lay there for 20 months, sometimes didn't even change out of his clothes, wore the same clothes, sometimes slept on top of that place right below the Sistine Chapel, right below the ceiling, so that he could get that thing painted for us. Beauty is not cheap. Things of God are not cheap. Jonas Salk in 1949 wanted to find the cure for polio, so he worked 16 hours a day, six days a week for five years to bring the world relief from the curse of polio. How many glad he did that? Thomas Edison invented the light bulb over a thousand times, and he finally got it right. How many glad he did that? No more coal ore and lanterns in your house. Carl Lewis, after he won the gold medal in 84 Olympics, was asked how many years he had spent developing his tremendous running skills. He replied, the day I stopped crawling, I took up running. Some of us need to fine-tune ourselves. We need to fine-tune ourselves. It's important. If you don't forsake some things, you'll never get serious enough to focus on things that matter. And hell wants to keep your mind continually messed up with what you should focus on but Paul said this one thing I do a man came to Jesus in Mark 10 sought eternal life Jesus told you told him here's how you obtain it here's how you get it there's a cost for relationship with Jesus but it was too expensive the man went away sorrowful too much price do we have that kind of fortitude do we have the kind of fortitude to pay the price? Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees and didn't even know where he was going. But he went by faith and risked all that he had. And now he's called the father of our faith. It's on the screen. Real and lasting success doesn't deal with education. It doesn't deal with IQ or status in society's eye or whether you're limited in some way. It's always a price issue. to be great I have young men come to me many times in my ministry and said Brother Johnson I'd like to stand side by side with you and preach the gospel I want your anointing I want whatever however you did what you did to get this anointing I want that I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you what I tell them I'm going to say the most expensive thing you could ever have in your life is the anointing of God it's not cheap I could make this whole crowd weep and cry tonight if, I, if you understood my whole story. Because I have never told my story to this church. But if you really understood my story, 
you would say, how? How is he a preacher? How is he standing there preaching? Because I realized one day that I loved him most of all. And I wasn't ashamed of my cross. And I was ready to forfeit everything else just for the privilege of preaching the gospel. A pastor told me one day, he said, go home, go home. Go do something else. You're not a preacher. I tried to preach him a revival. And I stood and I wept in his presence. And I said, where? I don't know what I would do if I went home. What do I do? How do I do this? How do I stifle this crave inside of me? How do I put this fire out? How do I close this door? How do I do it? He said, whatever you have to do, get out of here and go do something else. You're not called into this business. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the price was enough. That it was enough. It was enough. Forgive me for being personal here tonight, but it was enough. It was enough that God said, I'll anoint you. I'm going to keep anointing you. I'm going to keep blessing you. And he has. And he will. Because there's three things I've decided. I love him most of all. I'm not ashamed of my cross. And you can take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Stand to your feet. You're awesome people. You're awesome people. Pavarotti's dad said you can't. You can't sit in two chairs. When he said, I don't know why I want to be a singer or whether I want to be a teacher. He said, you can't sit in two chairs. Somebody will pull them apart and you'll fall down. So here's, here's what I'm going to close with tonight. It's going to be on the screen. You might want this, but here it is. It says simply this. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't shut up, let up, or slow up until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for Jesus Christ. Woo! Clap your hands all over this house. Clap your hands all over this house. David Livingston, when he was working in Africa, got a letter from a church group and said, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. David Livingston wrote back and he said, if you have men that will come only if they know there's a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come even if there's no road at all. Are you ready to cut the swath for your family? You ready to cut a path for your family? Pastor, my family don't live for God. It doesn't matter. You're going to live for God. Pastor, my family don't like me coming to church. It don't matter. You love God anyhow. 
You're not living for God for them. You're living for God because you love God Almighty. Come on, clap your hands. That's your truth. That's your honor. You live on your honor. You live on your honor. You live on your grace that God has given you. Amen. I know I got a little heavy tonight. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I got a little heavy tonight. I, I, I didn't mean to get that heavy tonight. But oh, the presence of the Lord is so rich and so real. And I think the Lord just kind of baptized me tonight in this service with, with our worship. And he, he let me know that I was tracking right tonight. I was going to track right tonight. I want to talk about the cross. And he wanted me to track right tonight. And I've tracked right. I believe all my heart that I'm on the track that God wanted me to talk about tonight. I want you to step out in the aisle. I want you to do that. And I want you to say, Pastor, when you step out in that aisle, say, Pastor, I love him most of all. Pastor, I'm going to carry my cross. Come on, I'm going to carry it. I'm going to carry it. Say, Pastor, I'm going to forsake and follow. I'm going to forsake and follow because I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to be a and that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.